Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of radio. What's going on, everybody? We are back. This is episode 231 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin. My name is Kevin, and this is take two of episode Yeah, because my computer is a asshole. Yes, all of the asshole. Yeah. But hey, everybody on the main storyline got a free Patreon episode last week, so want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I released the tr- our second Truth or Scare episode. And uh, it seems like people enjoyed that. So mm. anyway, what do we got this week? So, yes, from last week to this week, we're doing black inventors, African-American inventors, whatever. Pretty sure you can say black. I don't think anybody really cares that much. Well, they might. Never know. Um, so, yeah. So we got a whole bunch of uh, inventors that I kind of chose because of things they invented that kind of are, are still around today. Um, and some of these people invented a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one, Albert Richardson. Uh, on February 17th, 1891, Richardson patented the butter churn. The device consisted of a large wooden cylinder container with a plunger-like handle, which moved up and down. In doing so, the movement caused oil uh, parts of cream oily parts of cream or milk to become uh, separated from the more watery parts <coughs> this allowed for an easier way to make butter and forever change the food industry that is because in fact the cream always rises to the top main gene <laughs> you're trying to tell me you've never seen that randy savage promo no. where he's got like a dozen fucking creamers in one of his hand that you can't see. And he's doing all this goofy shit. It's like, oh, me and Gene, the cream rises to the top. And he'll, like, fucking throw it. Then he's got his hand, and just, like, he's got another one there. And he's talking to him, and he just sets it on top of his head. He's doing all this crazy shit with his hands. And he flicks that one off. Then he's got another one, and he's talking to me and Gene, and he just slides it in his jacket pocket and walks away. He was a fucking master. Oh, God. Everybody's like, oh, man, 80s wrestler promos weren't that good. No, Ultimate Warriors promos weren't that good because he could barely talk. Anyway, put Randy Savage out there. God, it's fucking fantastic. That's why when him and Sting 
tag team, he let Sting talk. Yeah, because uh, you know Sting uh, could talk, and yeah. Ultimate Warrior was just all fucking cocaine and steroids. Yeah. You know That's how it and goes. Now he did. So uh, this allowed for an easy way to make butter and forever change the food industry. That one thing that was not that was not enough for him. He would then in nineteen in nineteen eighteen ninety four. Uh, he would see a problem with the way uh, bodies of dead people were buried. Uh, it was common at the time to simply bury bodies in sh- uh, small, shallow graves or to try to lower their caskets with ropes into a deeper hole. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this required several people to work in unison to ensure that the casket was lowered evenly. And often not, this didn't work. Right. Uh, failure... To do so could cause the casket to slip out of one of the ropes and be damaged from hitting the ground or the person was buried upside down. Yeah, and you've got, because you have people lowering it, you know, different rates and all that, and it's just, yeah, it's not not easy to track. So on November 13th of 1894, Richardson patented the casket lowering device, which consisted of a series of pulleys and ropes or claws, uh, which ensured uniformity in the lowering process. This invention was very significant at the time, and it is used in all cemeteries today. In addition to these devices, Richardson patented a uh, fame uh, fastener in 1882 and an insect destroyer in February of 1899, and he made an improvement to the design of the bottle uh, in December of 1899. Now, when you say when you say an, an insect destroyer, did they get specific as to what that was? Was it like a pesticide or like a, a fucking zapper of some sort? It doesn't no. say. No. Shit. Um. So yeah. So pretty much why I chose him for this one was just because of the casket. Because. Well, I mean, the butter churn was kind of an important thing too. Yeah, but it's not around anymore. You don't. I mean. No, but if it hadn't been around in the first place, true. I mean, it, 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 it would have made life difficult. More, it would be harder because I mean, you you can well, you, you can, can make still butter. You can still make butter. I yeah, mean, I but think it's people make it. It's it's a lot more effort now than it would than. It's a lot of effort now. I couldn't imagine what it would have been back then. You know, when you had refrigerators and shit like that, where you can store all your stuff. Now you didn't have that back then. Well, I mean, I I've seen a person now make butter. How they would have made it, you know. Without a butter churn. Right. And it's difficult as hell. I mean, it's a lot of process to go through. Because you you're basically squeezing the the water out. You're kind of like letting it get to a certain point. You're adding all these stuff. Yeah. And then you're mixing it, mixing it, mixing it. And then you have to squeeze the water out of it. So it kind of is real time consuming. Yeah, it still is. I mean, um, now my next person is, that I chose was uh, Dave, a uh, David uh, McCree. Now he uh, created a portable version of the fire escape. Okay, because at the time fire escapes were just attached to the side of the building, um, and you know that's how that's how you would get out. Um, so he made it so that people in their homes or other places that didn't have that could escape from the second or third story levels during a fire. Yeah. Um, 
Which is McCree yeah. patented the portable fire escape on November 11th, 1890, uh, and it's the basis for similar models that are used today. Uh, now, I have seen said devices in use, or seen said devices, and for people who uh, choose not to build fire escapes because they just, you know, can't do it for whatever reason. They don't want to do it. These things uh, help out quite a bit because I mean, the, the new ones like have like um, almost like um, claws type thing where yeah. like they'll look, they hook, right, hook right onto the windowsill. Yep. Like they'll go deep into it so they can support your weight. Right. Without, you know, breaking anything or coming off. Exactly. Um, and plus they also go like they fold – you know, up nice and neat into like a it's almost little like a, tiny box. Yeah, so it's it's like almost like the equivalent of a uh, telescopic ladder, which those things are sketchy as fuck if you've ever had to use one. Yeah, they kind of are sort of kind of like that. I mean, but these are kind of like, you know, you just kind of flop them out. Yeah. Um, next guy is George Crumb. He was born George Speck. Now, this one um, I chose... Not only because of what he invented, but because of where he was from. It's real close to us. Uh, like maybe, I dare say, what is it, like uh, almost two hours away. Where? Um, in uh, Saratoga, New York. Yeah, yeah, about two hours, give or take a couple just minutes. Un- just under. Depending on the traffic. Yeah. Uh, he was the son of a Huron Native American woman. And an African-American um, who... He was a Melungeon. Yeah. Who worked at... His father worked at... Actually, worked as a jockey. Um, <laughs> his dad was short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he worked... Uh, so he worked as a... Uh, for a while as a mountain guide and mm-hmm. trapper in the Adirondack Mountains in New York. In 1853, he became the head chef at a... Um, place called uh, Carrie Moon's Lake House in uh, uh, Saratoga. Okay. And on the evening, on, on one evening in particular, uh, he set out preparing the evening dinner for the guests, as most chefs do. They start, you know, they prepare things. Well, he intended to make French fries, but I guess complained that they were too thick. Uh, okay, I know who this guy is. Um, annoyed. He prepared another batch and sliced the potatoes extremely thin. <clears throat> After deep frying them in oil, he found that them being thin uh, crisped them up, and he added salt to them. And thus, and he the found p- <laughs> that people, the guests actually loved him. Yep, uh, still do actually. George began preparing the potatoes this way, and they would become known as potato chips. Yep. In 1860, he decided to open his own restaurant on Malta Avenue in uh, Saratoga. Just a fucking straight-up potato chip restaurant. Yeah, no. Chips uh, and pickle slices, that's all you get. Yep. And I would eat there every other day. Uh, he featured uh, potato chips as appetizers on each table. The restaurant was so was so successful, uh, it was able to operate for 30 years. And it was not until 1890 that it actually closed. Unfortunately, he never patented the potato chip, 
nor sought to market them outside of <sighs> his restaurant. His family would never have had to have worked another True. day in their lives. A few years, a few years after he retired, however, potato chips w- uh, were mass marketed by others, and it would eventually become a six billion dollar a year industry. Yeah, yeah. Even if you had like a fucking ten percent stake in that, mm-hmm. yeah, you'd have been rolling in it. Yeah, forever. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, there's. I think as you said last week, there's potato chips that you know. Uh, different different regions have we different can't... potato chips. Like, yeah, it was like just recently that we were able to get some potato chips out of uh, out of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that hers started to come up. They this fin- way. Yeah, finally, I've had them before because um, it's like the same with beer. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have potato chips than beer to be honest. Like but the one beer that we can't get, we have to go across the border for is the Yingling, which is stupid because you can buy it in New York and you can buy it in New Hampshire. Why can't you buy it in fucking Vermont? I mean, it, it's just the stupidest shit ever. And it's actually good beer. I really like it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't have it. But there's, you know, there's other other beers, too. They make are... a chocolate one that I really want to try. Because they, they teamed up with the other oldest company in Pennsylvania, Hershey, and made a chocolate beer. And it's supposedly really goddamn good. I've heard it's, I've heard it's good. But trying to find um, it anywhere is like pulling teeth. Well, maybe there's a possibility I could get some. Oh yeah, since I know a guy that goes down to Pennsylvania, um, to visit relatives, so maybe I could possibly get my hands. I on mean, some. I can. I'm. I plan on if I can find it on my way through when I go on vacation. I'm going to grab some too. It's a, it's a stout, so it's going to be a little out of my wheelhouse because I'm not usually big on those. But, um, well, stouts are about all about what you uh, it's you know, a porter. Pair them with. It's a porter, so. I don't really like heavy beer, uh, but I'm going to drink it anyway because it looks fantastic. Uh, so my next guy is Henry Blair. He was born in 1807 in Glen, uh, in Glen Ross, Maryland. Let me start that again. Mm-hmm. Henry Blair is my next guy. He was born on uh, in sorry not on but in 1807 in. Uh, Glen Ross, Maryland. Blair was a free man. His first invention was a seed planter, which enabled farmers to plant more corn, uh, utilizing less labor in a smaller period of time, which was very fucking helpful. Yeah. He received a patent for his invention on October 14th of 1834, assigned number uh, 8,447X. Uh, two years later, in 1836, uh, Blair received a second patent for a cotton planter, assigned number 15. Hmm. The cotton planter worked by splitting the ground with two shovel-like plates, uh, blades pulled along by a horse. So basically it's a plow. Yeah. Uh, followed by a wheel-driven cylinder, which dropped a seed into a newly uh, plowed furrow. So... If anybody doesn't know, what happens is it – so the horse is pulling this thing. Yeah, it's generally a V-plow. It's a – yeah. A, so it's like a V, and it plows it up through, makes that furrow, and then there's this, like, wheel behind it that you probably – I think it may be facing backwards or whatever, uh, not forwards. But then um, as it's turning, it drops the seed down in. So it's like kind of like a uh, – on so many rotation of the wheel, will drop a seed. 
which then you can then go behind. You're behind it because you're you know making the horse go right, and you could kick the dirt you know from side to side so it goes you know and over the uh, the seed and allows for it you know to grow right. So you don't have to worry about much of anything. So Blair had been a successful farmer for years and developed inventions as a means of increasing efficiency in farming. It's noteworthy that in both of his patents, he was listed as a, a quote, colored man. The exult only example of an inventor's race being listed or acknowledged on an issued patent. He was also the second black inventor awarded a patent. Um, my next guy that I chose, this guy has a lot of pat a lot of things he either um invented or um he did reinventions for so you know he beefed them up uh his name is richard spikes now so i'm gonna list off what he you know did his first one was uh railroad uh semaphore in 1906 uh Next one was automatic car washer. What the hell is that though? Uh, I don't. Was it a railroad? What? It's it's like a sign thing. So like it tells you kind of like what's what's ahead or what's whatever. Kind of like it's a railroad semaphore signal is one of the earliest forms of fixed railway signals. Yeah. The semaphore system involves signals that display. They're different indications to uh, train drivers by changing the angle or inclination of a pivoted arm. Okay, so it's basically a directional thing. Yeah. So So you can brake accordingly, you know, knowing that you have a a steeper turn coming up. Or something else has happened. Like, people, they would go by and somebody on the train, not the conductor, but, like, one of the other people would, you know, the brakeman or somebody Mm -hmm. else would change, could change it depending on what was needed. Um... So yeah, the automatic car wash car washer in 1913. Uh, this is another big one that we used on uh, automobile directional signals in 1913 as well. The, the now a lot of people will like this one, the beer keg tap. Yes, that was 1910. Uh, another one in 1910 was self-locking rack for billiard cues. Um, cause gotta hold those billiard cues, right? You know, in place. Uh, 1919, continuous contact trolley pole. Cause you know you need to have that trolley pole. You know, having continuous contact with the the rail. Uh. 1926, combination milk bottle opener and cover. Uh, So that's the thing to cover and uncover milk bottles, I would assume. Yes. Like at a factory. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, 1931, method and apparatus for obtaining average samples and temperature of tank liquids. Very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 1932, for everybody that doesn't know how to drive a standard, the automatic gear shift. Yeah. It surprises me that it was that far back, though. Yeah. You know? Uh, 1933, 
transmission and shifting thereof. Uh, 39, automatic shoe shine chair. So you don't have to have someone there all right. the time. But I, I think I mentioned it when we recorded this the first time. I don't, You don't get that personal touch with a machine that you do having somebody actually shine your shoes. Because there's like a conversation and a machine can miss spots that a human eye won't. You know, shit so, like that. Probably, you know. right. Plus, you're also taking a little, you know, taking a fucking small child to, out of work. God damn Goddamn it. machines taking their jobs. Yeah, I know. Um, this one you appreciate. 1940, multiple barrel machine gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1950, horizontally swinging barber chair. I appreciate that more than the machine gun, though, I think. I you mean, know. I don't need a barber chair that swings. I don't need a barber chair in general. Like, I don't... I haven't cut my hair in fucking... 2016 was the last time I cut my hair. So, been a minute. Uh, 1962, the automatic safety brake. That's pretty cool, though. Yes. Yeah, kind of an important thing. Uh, Spike's inventions were welcome to major companies. Um, his beer keg tap was purchased by Milwaukee Brewing Company and the automobile directional signal, which were first introduced, uh, in the Pierce Arrow, Mm -hmm. uh, soon became standard in all automobiles. Except for vehicles sold in Massachusetts, New Jersey, and, uh, Florida. They install middle fingers. Yeah. No, they have a, a, the horn is linked directly to the, the throttle. Uh, so the first like couple seconds that you hit the gas pedal, you get the horn. Yeah. And, and then, then after that, and it, then it's the yeah. middle finger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for his, for his innovative, uh, innovative designs of transmissions and gear shifting devices, spikes received over $100,000, an enormous sum for a black man in the 1930s. I would say it's an enormous sum for any man, any woman in the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what color you are. Yeah. That's a lot of fucking money. Uh, by the time he was creating an automatic uh, shift break in 1962, this is cool part, Spikes was losing his vision. In order, Yeah, to that's com- pretty cool. In or- <laughs> no, no, no. Say, so what a dick. It's how he created it. It was super cool. He started to go blind, you know. <laughs> in order to, to complete the device, he first had to, to uh, create a drafting machine for blind designers. By the time he the his braking device was completed, he was deemed legally blind. The device soon would soon be found in most every school bus in the nation. Uh, so, I mean, just kind of cool. To think that, you know, his automatic brake, which is that lever that they bus drivers push down. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and then they flop up and it goes. Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> or at least they used to back when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> you like, you pull, push it up and you just see it just go. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, kind of like a, uh, like those, the door stops or whatever. The spring. Yeah, little spring ones. Blink, blink, yeah. Blink. I used to get my ass kicked for playing with because my dad hated the sound. <laughs> uh, Richard Spikes died in 1962, but he left behind a lifetime of achievement that would few actually would parallel at all ever. Um, 
My next person is Fred Jones. Fred Jones was born on May 17th of 1893 yep. in Covington, Kentucky. Then he yeah. bought a van, brought his friends and their dog out to solve mysteries. What? Fred from Scooby-Doo. His name is Fred Jones. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. You know Shaggy's name is Norville? What? Yeah. Shaggy's first name is actually Norville. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How the fuck do you know that? Because I'm weird and I like Scooby-Doo a lot. Well, I like Scooby-Doo as well, but I didn't know his goddamn name was Norville. You think his parent? You think his fucking Christian name is Shaggy? <laughs> no, <laughs> not a goddamn chance. Well, I knew. I mean, I had a feeling yeah. that his like it was a nickname, but I didn't know they actually like. Oh yeah. S- said his name. Oh yeah, he had an actual name. And what pisses me off is like there's a a cartoon thing now where they made Shaggy black. That's not the part that pisses me off. The part that pisses me off is we have Black Shaggy, but he's not voiced by fucking Black Shaggy. You know? Uh, You know what I mean? Because that would have been fucking, like, perfect. Would have been perfect. Yeah. Have Shaggy voice Shaggy. See, that was just a waste. Yep. Except then you'd have to make him Jamaican, which I don't even care about that. Who cares? It'd be perfect. But, you know. He smokes the reefer. He does. They both do, I'm pretty sure. They eat Scooby Snacks. Yeah. I mean, they get fucking high. It would have been, been perfect, but, you know, what do I know? I'm just a white guy Whatever. with an opinion. Exactly. You and, know? You know, I mean, racist. No, no, I'm not a racist. I'm a fucking marketing genius is what I am. <laughs> so his father was a uh, r- white railroad worker of Irish descent, and his mother was black. And it's believed that his mother died while she was, well, he was young. Not she was young, but he was young. Or she probably was young. But, and Fred was raised by his father. When Fred was eight years old, his father took him to Cincinnati, Ohio, to where they visited St. Mary's Catholic Church Rectory. Fred's father urged Father Edward A. Ryan to take Fred in in order to expose him to an environment where he might have a better opportunity for gaining an education. No, I'm really glad you finished time. that sentence that you like in order to expose. And I was like, Oh no, he's going to flash this boy. No, not during this time. Well, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, don't no. know. I don't think the Catholic church being full of fucking sex criminals is a new thing. <laughs> I think that's probably been going on for a little bit. Uh, so Fred performed chores around the church in return for being fed and unhoused. Uh, he would cut the grass, shovel snow, scrub floors, and he actually learned to cook. At an early age, Fred demonstrated a great interest in mechanical working, whether taking apart a toy, a watch, or a kitchen appliance. Eventually, he became interested in automobiles. So much <laughs> so that he... It's a slippery slope how that shit works. So much so that upon turning 12 years of age, he ran away from his home at the rectory and began working at the R.C. Uh, Crothers Garage. On October, on August 1st of 1918, he would actually enlist in the 809 Pioneer Infantry of the United States Army and served in France during World War One. While serving, Jones recruited German soldiers of war and rewired his camp for electricity, telephone, and telegraph service. Prisoners of war, you mean? That's what I said. He said soldiers of war. Prisoners of war. Okay. 
and of course he's fighting for the French because he wasn't allowed to fight for his own country in World War One. No. We sent all of our black troops to fight for the French because we didn't want them. He was in the 809 Pioneer Infantry of the United States Army. Yeah, they attached them to the French, just like Henry Johnson. Because <laughs> they're like, ha you, you can't serve with white American troops. Well, That's ridiculous. So after being discharged by the Army, Fred returned to Halleck in 1919. Looking for work, Jones often aided local doctors by driving them around for house calls during the winter season. When na- uh, navigation through the snow proved difficult, Fred attached skis to the undercarriage of an old airplane body. <laughs> and, I remember this. And attached uh, an airplane propeller to the motor and soon whisked around the town on high speeds at high speeds in his new snow machine, killing fucking people. That's the most dangerous goddamn thing that's ever been created. It was. I mean... It's like, hey, let's let's make a snowblower and then just attach a deli slicer to the front of it. A, sno- a snowmobile. Yeah. A snowblower. Well, it's a fucking, yeah. it's a plane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and those blades aren't thin and sharp. They're thick and, yeah. like, blunt, and they just bash you to, like, literally smash you to bits. Yeah. That's kind of fucking crazy. What everybody doesn't know is that right now we have a special guest in yes. the house. His name is Declan. Yep. The executive vice president of Dark Windows Productions is here. Yeah. Right? He's just, he's staring at the, uh, yeah. He's staring at our, our Patreon. Yes. Topic. He's actually he's, been surprisingly quiet. He's just like, he's hey, not said, what's up? he ain't said a goddamn word. He moved to Virginia. Yeah. You're going to go see mom. You want mom. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you sitting in. <laughs> Dork. Okay. Uh, so over the next few years, Fred began tinkering with uh, almost everything he could find, Inve- uh, inventing things he could not find and improving upon those he could. When one of the doctors he worked for on occasion complained that he wished he did not have to wait for a patient to come into his office for x-ray exams, Jones took it upon himself to create a portable x-ray machine <laughs> that could be taken to the uh, patient. Unfortunately... Yeah, fuck it, we'll just make a mobile x-ray, whatever. Yeah. Fortunately, like many of his early inventions, Jones never thought to apply for a patent for the machine and watched helplessly as other men made uh, fortunes off of their versions of the device. Yep. Undaunted, Jones set out for other projects, including a radio transmitter, personal radio sets, and eventually motion picture devices, which all three of those Hmm. are pretty big goddamn deals. Yeah, I'd say so. In 1927, Jones was uh, faced with the problem of helping friends convert their silent movie theater into a noisy talkie, movie theater, oh. which is basically it's you have a silent movie, but they dub over the yeah. The, um, the like music and shit playing in the back of the theater, down in the front, however they do it. Yeah, but it was yeah. basically somebody, you know, was speaking over the parts. Mm-hmm. It probably wasn't the the main character in the film. It was someone else. I wouldn't imagine because I mean, if you're distributing it to a couple of different places, I mean. 
can't do both at the same time. Uh, well, I mean, some of them they like redo it. Like, um, uh, if anybody's ever seen uh, the show Downton Abbey, if you haven't, this is a spoiler. I'm gonna spoil it for you, Kevin. I know it's because I, I am fucking. I'm enthralled with it. You're gonna be disappointed because I walk by it every couple minutes and go, "Ugh, they haven't burned that old witch to death yet." Like, what's going on here? There, there. Uh, during uh, the later season of it, uh, this is by the time that uh, that they're kind of uh, messing around with uh, speech in movies. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, you know, you could talk in a movie. But you didn't know what was being said because it was silent. Right. Well, uh, they used this method where you know they would talk, they would you know have people acting out and they would talk, but someone else would be would actually record cut, the dialogue. Record the dialogue. <clears throat> yep. And it so happened that you know like two of the people that were recording the dialogue were the two people that were actually talking. Yeah. And if anybody's not familiar with what Downton Abbey is, it's a show of the whitest people ever with the whitest problems ever. So it's, you know, British. it's pretty not interesting to me. It actually, it's actually pretty good. I like it. I liked it. How dare you marry my daughter? You have no money, you filthy Irishman. It's like, you know what? That's why, that's why they fucking bombed you guys for the better part of like 70 years because you treated them like shit. So well, not going to whole- not going to say you deserved it, but... That was the whole point of the whole thing, is to show how... I mean, if it was most, if it was like more focusing around the IRA, it would be more interesting. But, but I'm saying that's just how the whole point of it is, yeah. is, is, is a British... Um, not really... They're not really royalty, but they're in the royal family. Because they're somehow... They're like... Related down the line, yeah. Who I I don't know. They're all fucking inbred. That's what I know about the, um, the British royal family. So, not only did he convert scrap metal into the parts necessary to deliver sound a soundtrack to the video, he also uh, devised ways to stabilize and improve the picture quality. Interesting. When Joe Numero kind of like gyroscope kind of deal for a like a gimbal for a camera or something yeah, like that, probably. So when Joe Numero, the head of the Ultraphone uh, Sound Systems, heard that about Fred's devices, he invited Fred to come to Minneapolis for a job interview. Not Hollywood, folks, Mm-mm. because well, during this time, more than one place had you know were making films. Yeah, uh, I think the other one was Chicago, New York, Chicago, New York, mm-hmm. Minnesota. Minneapolis, um, how I think maybe even Kansas City probably maybe was in on it, but all I mean, the pedophiles and lizards hadn't congregated into California yet. Ah, uh, you know. So after taking a position with the company, Fred began improving on many of the existing devices the company sold. Many of his improvements were so significant. Representatives from AT and T and RCA. That's a blast from the past, because mm-hmm. I don't think they exist anymore, um, as far as I know. RC, I don't know. Uh, they sat down to talk with Fred and were amazed at the depth of his knowledge on intrinsic details. 
particularly in the light of his limited uh, educational background. Around this time, Fred came up with an idea, an automatic ticket dispensing machine to be used at movie theaters. Fred applied for and received pat a patent for his device on June of 1939 in June of 1939 and the patent rights were uh, eventually sold to RCA which I don't you know we don't as far as I know we don't have automatic we I've been to one automatic what dis, ticket dispensing so I've been to one where it may have ha I had that one movie theater oh yeah, because you have to think about that. what else that technology would have been used for or would have been converted into. Look at arcades, like uh, like arcade machines, games like that. Oh, yeah. You know, you're playing skee-ball, and all of a sudden it's shooting tickets out at you, and it's the same thing, just scaled down. So at some point, Joe Numero was represented, uh, was presented, not represented, but presented, with the task of developing a device which would allow large trucks to transport perishable products without spoiling them. Jones set out to work and developed a cooling process that could refrigerate an interior of a tractor trailer. In 1939, Fred and Joe Numero uh, received a patent for a vehicle uh, air conditioning device, which would later be called a Thermo King, which is still around. Yep. And they get fucking cold. Yes. This product revolutionized several industries, including shipping and grocery businesses. Grocery chains were now able to import and export products, which previously could not have been shipped as, a, as canned goods. Thus, the frozen food industry was created, and the world saw the emergence of, a, of the supermarket. Mm -hmm. In addition to installing the Thermal King refrigeration units in trucks and tractor trailers, Jones modified the original design so they could be outfitted for trains, boats, and ships. Um, during World War II, the Defense Department found a great need for portable refrigeration units for distributing food and blood plasma to the troops in the field. The department called upon Thermo King for a solution. Fred modified his device once again and soon developed a prototype which... Uh, would eventually allow airplanes to parachute these units down behind enemy lines to the waiting uh, troops. <laughs> We're going to drop you tanks, trucks, refrigerator. It's all good. Yes. For the next 20 years, Fred Jones continued to make improvements on existing devices and devise new inventions when necessary to aid the public. Jones would die on February 21st of 1961, and was posthumously awarded the National Medal of Technology, one of the greatest honors an inventor could receive. Jones was the first black inventor to ever receive such an honor. Um, along the lines of, uh, go back a little bit, the frozen food thing. Uh, so the, the, the guy that, uh, the real first fo frozen food came about because a guy, uh, I was watching this uh thing about um phineas uh, t green giant i don't think that was his name well I mean, where else do you get the green giant from then well it's a family I, name they didn't have it changed when they came through ellis island i think it possibly did no 
I think it was. I think it was definitely changed. Um, I don't know what it was changed from, but it was changed. I'm pretty damn sure. Uh, now, so yeah. Anyway, the guy that invented, uh, that came up with uh, bird's eye, well, frozen vegetables. Mm-hmm. He actually um, was the first one to bring frozen foods to market. Um, and it was uh, because he was up in Alaska or Canada or somewhere like that. And he saw um, how the Inuits would um, keep things cold, you know, and they'd be, like, fresh so long after. Like, they'd they'd, uh, – because they they would stick them outside and they would flash freeze because it was so cold. Right. So he, like, was trying to figure out a way to um, to be able to get, you know – bring this to the lower 48 so he's like okay hmm well um let's uh well let's try some different things yeah he actually came up with a a cooling thing that actually would flash freeze it and then allow it and then then uh was it like general mills or something like that actually ended up buying it it's about the same way dipping dots were accidentally invented because a uh, guy that was running something, he, he ran, I think they were like flash freezing uh, like uh, fruit or something, if I remember correctly. And he's like, I wonder what would happen if I did like yogurt. Let's see what it did. He did like little spots and like flash froze them and uh-huh. tried them. He's like, these are fucking great. Because I mean, ice cream had been around forever at that point. He's like, oh, let's try this. And just did like these little like dots on a tray and flash froze them and tried them and they're apparently fantastic. Hmm. Now, that's how it goes. I've, I've never, to be completely honest with you, I've never even had dipping dots. Never, never, never have I ever. Uh, let's see. Next guy, <clears throat> Garrett Morgan, was born on March fourth of eighteen seventy seven in Paris, Kentucky, the seventh of eleven children. Born to Sydney and Elizabeth Morgan. Uh, Garrett was, at the early age of 14, decided that he should travel north to Ohio in order to receive a better education. Morgan and his inspiration to, is an inspiration to many education seekers today. Whether pursuing business with an, an AACBS, CSB, sorry, accredited online MBA or a master's in education. Um, so if you're, you know, kind of credit to this guy, uh, he moved to Cincinnati and then to Cleveland working as a handyman in order to make ends meet in Cleveland. He, uh, learned the inner workings of a sewing machine. And in 1907 opened his own, uh, sewing machine store selling new machines and repairing old ones. In 1908, Morgan married uh, Mary Ann Hasek, with whom he would have three three sons. In 1909, Morgan opened a tailoring shop, selling coats, suits, and dresses. While working in his shop, he came upon a discovery which brought about his first invention. He noticed that the needle of a sewing machine 
moves so fast that its friction often scorched the thread of the woolen materials. He thus set out to develop a liquid that would provide a useful polish to the needle, reducing the friction. When his wife called him to dinner, he wiped the liquid from, uh, from his hands onto a piece of poly fur cloth. When he returned to his workshop, he saw the fibers on the cloth were now standing straight up. He theorized that the fluid had actually straightened the fibers. So, in, in order to confirm his theory, he decided to apply some of his fluid. This is bad. This is bad. This is sad, but this is also funny as hell, too. He decided to apply it to uh, his neighbor's dog in Airedale. I mean, he's not going to do it to his own dog. <clears throat> no. Well, and if you're on- looking for something that's going to straighten shit out, Airedale, uh, Airedales are pretty goddamn curly. So. so, the fluid, he applied the fluid. And the fluid straightened the dog's hair so much that the neighbor, not recognizing his own pet, chased the animal away. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Fucking moron. So Morgan then decided to try the fluid on himself. So he poured into small portions of his hair at first and then to his entire head. He was successful and invented the first uh, human hair straightener. He marketed the product under the name... G.A. Morgan Hair Refining Cream and sold by his G.A. Morgan Refining Company, Hmm. which became a very successful business. In 1912, Morgan developed another invention. Much different from his hair straightener, Morgan called it a safety hood. A patent uh, patented as a breathing device. Mm -hmm. But the world came to know it as a gas mask. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> you got to give the Brits some credit, though, because they were the first ones that developed it for uh, dogs and horses, too, mm. during World War One, The safety hood consisted of a hood worn over the head of a person from which uh, emanated a tube which reached near the ground and, and allowed the, uh, for clean air to come up to them when they were breathing in. The bottom of the tube was lined with a sponge-type material that um, would actually help to filter the incoming air. Another tube existed which uh, allowed the user to exhale out of the, uh, the device. So getting out the... Right. The... Um, what is it? Uh, carbon... Dioxide, carbon monoxide. Depends on what, you, what where it's being <clears throat> used, but it'd be carbon monoxide for a fire, like firefighters and stuff. Well, um, no, I'm saying you 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 breathe in air, carbon, and you, you breathe out your carbon dioxide. Car- yeah. Yes. Um. So Morgan intended the device to be used uh, to quote provide a portable attachment which will be will enable a fireman. To enter a house filled with thick, uh, suffocating gases and smoke, and to be able to breathe, breathe, not brief, but right. breathe freely for some time therein, and thereby enable him to perform his duties of saving life and valuables without danger to himself from suffocation. <clears throat> this uh, this device is also significant and useful for protection to engineers, chemists. Uh, 
and working men who are obliged to breathe noxious fumes or dust derived from the materials in which they are ob obliged to work. Yep. The NSDC, the National Safety Device Company, uh, with Morgan as its general manager, set up uh, to manufacture and sell the device, and it was demonstrated at various expo expositions across the country. At the second international exposition of safety and sanitation, the device won first prize, and Morgan was awarded a gold medal. Yep. While demonstrations were good for sales. The true test of the product would come only under real-life circumstances, <clears throat> of course. The opportunity arose on July 24th of 1916, when an explosion occurred in a tunnel uh, being dug under Lake Erie by the Cleveland Waterworks. The tunnel quickly filled with smoke, dust, and poisonous gases and trapped 32 workers underground. They were feared lost because no means of safety, uh, I'm sorry, of safely entering yep. their, and rescuing them was known. Fortunately, someone at the scene remembered about Morgan's invention and ran to call him at his home where he was relaxing. Garrett and his brother, Frank, quickly arrived at the scene, donned the safety hood, and entered the tunnel. After a heart-wrenching delay, Garrett appeared from the tunnel carrying a survivor on his back, as did his brother's, brother seconds later. The crowd erupted in staggering applause, and Garrett and Frank re-entered the tunnel, this time joined by two other men. While they were unable to save all of the workers, they were able to rescue many who would otherwise have uh, certainly died. Then after that, everybody started treating him like uh, like the sheriff from fucking Blazing Saddles after he beat up Mongo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where they're like, yeah, sorry I called you that. Just sorry I, for the yeah. thank comment. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to shake your hand in the daylight, though, but, you know, good on you. Sorry for the up yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> uh, reactions to Morgan's device and his hero uh, heroism quickly spread across the city and the country as newspapers picked up on the story. Morgan received a gold medal from from a Cleveland citizens group, as well as a medal from the International Association of Firefighter, Fire Engineers, not Firefighters, which also uh, made him an honorary member. Satisfied with his efforts, Morgan sold the rights to his device to the General Electric Company uh, for the astounding sum of $40,000. Huge mistake. And it became the standard across the country. Today's modern traffic lights are based upon Morgan's original design. Do, do you realize how tall a traffic light is when it's on the ground? Like one of the like the big three-tier ones? I If I remember correctly, they're like five and a half feet tall. Hold yeah, here. they weren't that how tall. How tall is a traffic light? Yeah, they're, they're three and a half feet tall. They don't look that tall because when they're hanging, you have no perspective of anything else around them other than more of them. They're fucking, they're tall. Like, Well, at this time, they weren't hanging. They were no, just... I'm talking like, you know, the, the ones that we have now, you know. They're three and a half goddamn feet tall. Yeah, well, like, during this time, they were, these ones were, like, on the side. Uh, you ever see a picture of, uh, what's his name? 
Um, shit. Um, oh, God damn it. I can't think of his name. There's a guy that was like uh, <clears throat> one of the tallest guys in the world. He actually. Oh, uh, bu- 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I last can't... name was Waldo. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. The guy that was like eight foot seven or eight foot eight or yeah, whatever it was. He, he would have kept growing. Yeah. He had, what is it? Gigantism yeah. or he something had like a that. A pituitary gland issue. Yeah. Um, Another one that, sorry, while well, we're talking about traffic cones that blew my mind that I had to remember. Um, like the dotted lines in a road, like when you have like a passing line, those are 10 feet long and there's 30 feet between them. Again, you don't even fucking realize it. Even if you're walking down the road, you don't realize it. Because, hmm. yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, so uh, he actually, yeah, he, he, he actually came up with uh, the modern traffic, traffic lights, um, and which were based off his design. Or actually, his design, Um, they're based off, yeah, based off his design. That's another one of his inventions. Right. Uh, so let's see here. We'll take a break here. Okay. Sounds good. And we'll come back and we'll finish it up. Cool. All right. Next one. Everybody's going to know the name, but they're going to go, oh, yeah, Boxer. But he's known for something else. He's an inventor. I'm going to tell a story Um, at the end of this. Jack Johnson. Yep. Jack Johnson was born on March 31st. Of 1878 in Galveston, Texas. So the black Jack Johnson, the white Jack Johnson, is the like pro surfer turned like surf rocker guy that is around too. But he's okay. he's still alive. Black Jack Johnson is not because he would have been like 140 by now, 100, okay. 120, whatever. He's been old as fuck. Let's yeah. just put it that way. <clears throat> um, let's see. Uh, where was I? Fuck. Oh. He was uh, he was born under the name of John Arthur John, yeah John Arthur Johnson, confused myself there, and spent much of his teenage life working on boats, and along the city's docks. Being uh he began boxing in 1897 and quickly became an accomplished, and feared fighter. He was a bad man. Stood about six foot one. Yeah, and bad, weighed 192 pounds. Johnson captured the, quote unquote. Colored Heavyweight Championship of the World. Yep. On February 3rd of 1903 in Los Angeles, uh, California, and became the World Heavyweight Champion in 1908. So just five years later, mm-hmm. he defeated Tommy Burns for the title, and thereby, thereby became the first black man to hold the World Heavyweight title. A fact that did not endear him to the hearts of white boxing fans. Duh. So fun- funny story about that fight. So that was being televised live because they had to do it in Australia because in the United States still, a black man was not allowed to fight a white man. Um, so they had to do it in Australia. And they cut the feed to that fight about 10 seconds before it ended because he was beaten seven shades of shit out of Burns. They had to have the police go in and separate them and pull him out. He never got his, like, he never really got his... His like fucking moment in the sun to have the belt put around him because they had to get him out of there so that he didn't get fucking lynched. Um, yeah, yeah, but he chased that dude all over the fucking country, and every time he would have a fight, he you know Jack Johnson would be sitting in the crowd with his belt, 
And after the fight, he'd stand up and just, you know, start talking shit. Like, when are you going to fight the real champ? You know, when are, you, when are we going to fight? And, you know, he was a bitch. He didn't want to fight because he knew. He knew he was going to get the shit kicked at him when he fought Jack Johnson. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, here he goes. Like, almost beat him to death, so. It's kind of like why uh, they pushed off for so long Why uh, with, uh, you know, uh, letting Blackson play. Uh, Integrating baseball. League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy shit. And then, like, they did, like, the same shit happened with basketball. And then all of a sudden, we get this one white dude that was just fucking lights out. And he's the whitest dude that's ever existed. He's from the middle of nowhere in Indiana. And uh, yeah, we have a dude that plays an entire game left-handed because he was saving his right hand for the Bulls. Larry Bird was a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And now the only good white basketball players are foreign. Oh, there's some good white guys that are... <clears throat> Who? There's a kid that actually just came up to won the uh, slam dunk contest. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. One. <clears throat> One. No, there's other guys. The fucking Luka's from, I don't know, Serbia or wherever Luka the fuck Doncic, he's from, you yeah. know. Uh, that other dude is also from some former Eastern Bloc country. Steve Nash was Canadian, so he doesn't count. No, Jason Kidd was half black, so he doesn't count as a white basketball player either. There's other there's other guys that are, you know, white that can play basketball. And then you had, uh, what's his nuts there? Oh, Jesus. No. No. Sean Bradley, who was 12 feet tall and fucking awful. The only good thing he ever did was Space Jam. Wasn't that awful. He was not good, though. Well. Uh, he, he was definitely from a planet with less gravity than ours. Is why he, why he was so tall. I don't know. He, he was good. He was okay yeah. for what he did. Yeah. All he had to do was be a big man. Yeah, but you put somebody like Different Tim time. Duncan against him, and he was going to fucking smoke him every time. And he was eight inches shorter. Different time. You know, different. Put him out there now. (laughs) Different uses. (laughs) He'd still get his shit kicked in. No, he'd be shooting threes. I mean, that's just nobody that tall needs to be shooting threes. Just get inside and fucking block shots. That's just how they roll. Manute Bull wasn't out there shooting threes. No, he was waiting for people to come in and slapping the ball into the fucking fortieth row of the of the seats. Also, seventeen feet tall. He wasn't doing that. Kevin Matumbo was. Yeah, but he was. He was. He was built correctly, because he was tall and thick. He was built like Shaq, but bigger. Well, different parts of Africa. True. True. She definitely, it's really is. It is. That's, I'm not disagreeing with you. Manute Bull was... Uh, from like actually, Sudan, I think? There was a sh- movie called, I think it was called Air Up There, that was, I think it was supposed to be based off of Manute Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I was really hoping you were going to say white men can't jump. <laughs> No. No. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, about depends on where you're from. Fucking Dikembe Mutombo could slap a rebound through the backboard, and he didn't give a fuck. <laughs> hey. Big dude. Uh, <clears throat> so Johnson was extremely confident about his capabilities and defeated everyone he faced with ease. Uh, he also bucked many of the social rules of the oh, day yeah, he and did. openly dated White women. <laughs> this eventually got him into trouble in 1912 when he was arrested for violation of the Mann Act, a law often used to prevent black men from traveling with white women. He was charged with taking his uh, white girlfriend, Lucille Cameron, across state lines 
across state lines for immoral purposes, yep. to be more precise. Yep. Because he's black with a white woman. Of course, he's a pimp. Yeah. You know? Um, although he and Lucille would actually be married later in the year. I think they were engaged was... at that point. It's like... <laughs> Probably. He's <laughs> like, dude, I'm just out here with my fucking fiance. He was convicted of the crime by Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who would later <laughs> become the commissioner of Major League Baseball, who actually nobody fucking liked. Yeah. He was a dick. And look, now he's a predecessor to other shitty baseball commissioners that we have now. Um, and was sentenced to federal prison for one year. Before he could be in prison, he and Lucille fled to Europe. Yep. <laughs> uh, Johnson eventually returned to the United States and was sent to Leavenworth Federal Prison in Kansas. While in prison, Johnson found a need for a tool which would, which would help him tighten or loosen fastening devices. He therefore crafted a tool and eventually patented it on April 18th, 1922, calling it a wrench. Yep. Jack Johnson died on uh, June 10th of 1946 in an automobile accident in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yep. And was elected to the Boxing Hall of Fame in 1954. Although many boxing fans are unaware of his life, uh, unaware of the life of the of the black heavyweight champion, they're probably still utilized in their homes or workshops a wrench yes. a lot. But anyway, uh, so Jack Johnson had like basically a street legal race car at one point in time. He was on his way to a fight, and he got pulled over somewhere in the south. It was either like Tennessee or Kentucky, somewhere in that neck of the woods. I don't remember exactly. Um, of course, you know, fucking big white boy cop comes up, and, you know, you know why I pulled you over? And he was like, yeah, I was speeding, you know. Gave him a $50 fine. Jack Johnson handed him a $100 bill. And the cop told him, I can't break it. I can't give you change back. And he goes, no, 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 don't worry. I'm coming back the same way. So he prepaid for his second speedy ticket. Because <laughs> he didn't give up. What's that cop going to do? Going to pull him out and be like, ah, oh, I'm going to kick your ass. No, no, because he'd fucking put your jaw on the back of your head like a fucking Daffy Duck cartoon. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, kn they knew who he was. Yeah, and again, what's he going to do? Pull a club on him and get the shit kicked out of him? Probably. You know. Uh, so my next person is Willie Johnson. Uh, he was on February 5th of 1884. He patented a device made up of a handle attached to a series of spring-like uh, whisk wires, and which helped to mix ingredients. Prior to this, to his egg, uh, prior to his egg beater, all mixing of ingredients were done by hand, and were quite labor intensive and time consuming. So he created the egg beater. Nice. Um, I still use a fork though, but me too. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm, if you're if you're scrambling a substantial amount of eggs, yeah, probably handy. You're doing like four or five eggs. A eh, fork works just fine. You if you're know. doing a substantial amount of eggs, you have a fucking thing that's called the kitchen aid. Yeah, that you can fucking you can. Dude, I'm fucking lazy. I use the, I use her kitchen aid for everything. Like we're making like we make pancakes. I'm not gonna sit there and stir pancake pancake batter. Fuck that kitchen aid. I bought it. I'm gonna use it. Uh, my next person is Daniel Hale Williams. Um, so because of primitive social. And uh, medical circumstances existing in the era, much of Williams' early medical practice 
uh, called for him to treat patients in their homes. So he was a doctor. Yep. Okay. Um, including conducting occasional surgeries on ta- uh, kitchen tables. In doing so, Williams utilized many of the emerging antiseptic sterilization procedures of the day and thereby gained a reputation for professionalism. He was soon appointed as a surgeon on the staff of uh, Southside Dispensary and then a clinical instructor in anatomy at Northwestern University. Yeah. Um, Kind of a big deal. Yes. Uh, in 1889, he was appointed to the Illinois State Board of Health. And one year later, uh, he set out to create an interracial hospital. On January 23rd of 1891, Daniel Hale Williams established the Provident Hospital and Training School Association, a three-story building which held 12 beds and served members of the community as a whole. Hmm. The school also served to train black nurses and utilize doctors of all races. Within the first year, 189 patients were treated at Provident Hospital, and of those, 141 saw a complete recovery. 23 had recovered significantly, 3 had seen change in their condition, and 22 actually had died. Over the course of how long? Uh, The first year. Out of a hundred and eighty nine, that's not bad. No, twenty two died. That's, that's not, not bad. bad. I mean, that's pretty good. You know, shit mm-hmm. happens once in a while. That's not terrible. Yeah, for a brand new hospital at the time, to see an eighty seven eighty seven percent success rate was phenomenal. Oh yeah, yeah. Considering the financial and health conditions of patients, and primitive conditions of of other hospitals, this was great. Much can be attributed to Williams' insistence on the highest standard concerning procedures and sanitary conditions. Two and a half years later, on July 9, 1893, a young black man named uh, James Cornish was injured in a bar fight, stabbed in the chest with a knife. By the time he was transported to Provident Hospital, he was seeking, uh, closer, s- sinking closer and closer to death. Having lost a great deal of blood and having gone into shock, Williams was faced with the choice of opening the man's chest and possibly operating internally with <clears throat> that was and that was almost unheard of in the day that day and age. Mm-hmm. Internal operations were unheard of because an entrance into the chest or abdomen of a patient would almost surely bring it uh, bring with it results of infection and therefore death. Williams made the decision to operate and open the man's chest. He saw the damage to the man's uh, pericardium, which is the sac around yep. the heart, yep. and sutured it. Then applied antiseptic pr- procedures before closing his chest. 51 days later, James Cornish walked out of the hospital, completely recovered, and would go on to live for another 50 years. Jesus. Unfortunately, Williams was so busy with his matters, he did not bother to document an inv- the event, and others made claims to have uh, been first to achieve the feat of performing open-heart surgery. Fortunately for him, 
local newspapers of the day did spread the news and Williams received the acclaim he deserved. Good. It should be noted, however, that while he is known for, as the first person to perform open-heart surgery, it is actually more noteworthy that he was the first surgeon to open the chest cavity successfully without the patient dying of infection. That's impressive. Yes. His procedures would therefore be used as a standard for future internal surgeries. Uh, next for person, um, Miriam Benjamin. She was a school teacher living in Washington, D.C. In, 18, in 1888, Ms. Benjamin received a patent for an invention she called a gong and signal chair for hotels. Her chair, as she stated in her patent application, would, quote, reduce the expenses of hotels by decreasing the number of waiters in attendance. To add to the convenience and comfort of guests, reduce the expenses of hotels by decreasing the number of waiters in attendance. To add the convenience and comforts to guests and to... Uh, <coughs> to... Ob- uh, comfort of a guest and to basically get rid of the necessity for hand clapping okay or calling aloud to obtain the services of pages because that's what they did at the time right and still did it for a long time you either had a bell or you're yelling yeah. at somebody yeah the hence system, the word bellhop yeah you know the system worked by pressing a small button on the back of a chair which would relay a signal to a waiting attendant at the time a light would illuminate on the chair, allowing the tenant to see which guest was in need of assistance. The system was adopted and installed within the United States House of Representatives and was the predecessor of the methods used today on airplanes to signal stewardesses that I know, they, someone needed help. It probably needs help. It, it's probably... Uh, responsible for like the the call system in hospitals now too, where you hit the button and it fucking goes off to the desk and probably yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna guess so yeah. Ms. Benjamin uh, was the second black woman to receive a patent. Okay. Next one is Sarah Boone. She received a patent on December twenty sixth of eighteen ninety two for a device which would help to neatly iron clothing. This device, the predecessor, predecessor to our modern ironing board, mm-hmm. was made of a narrow wooden board with collapsing legs and a padded cover and was specifically designed for fitted clothing worn during that time period. Prior to inventions, people were forced to restore, resort to simply using a table or being creative in a... Uh, Laying a plank of wood across two chairs or a small, two small tables. Right. Yeah, yeah. To be able to, you know, iron stuff. Uh, next one is Sarah E. Good. Uh, she was the owner of a furniture store in Chicago, Illinois. Her claim to fame is that she was the first black woman to receive a patent in an effort to help uh, people maximize their limited space good invented a foldable folding cabinet bed the cabinet bed was uh, folded up 
or and resembled a desk, which included compartments for stationary and writing is instruments. Hmm. Good receiver patent on July fourteenth of eighteen eighty five. For a second there, I thought it was almost like a Murphy bed, but then yeah, no. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so the last one I have here is Lloyd Ray. Now, anyone this this is the, probably the most used uh, of anything. The barbecue sauce. No. Oh, this is probably mo- the most used thing of all of these things that we talked about. Anyone cleaning a room or a hall simply swept dirt, dust, or trash out of a door onto the ground outside, or used a piece of paper in order to collect it. Ray decided to create uh, a device with a metal collection plate attached to a short wooden handle mm-hmm. in which trash could be swept into without getting one's hands dirty. This device was patented on August 3rd of 1897, and call, he called it a dustpan. Yep. <coughs> yeah, that, that, that fucking everybody's got one of those. Yeah. Um, maybe not that style, because that's like the I think that what they would refer to as a butler, where you have the ha- the handle, so you, can, you don't have to bend down or get your fucking shoe underneath the handle or whatever. Hey, and, yeah, I love that. They're style. pretty rad. Yeah, I'd rather have that than what I have. It's a bit of a pain in the ass because you have to keep it separate. I mean, usually a lot of a lot of time now you, when you see those, what do you mean keep it separate? Well, usually a lot of time now you have you see those, it's um, it has like a little small broom yeah, a little short broom. But but what do you mean keep it separate though? Well, no, I'm saying because you, you don't have it, like, most of the time your dustpans now will attach to the broom. Yep. You know, like an actual broom broom. Mm-hmm. You know, this uh, yeah, is, that's... like, this is separate now. No, 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 you can still store them together. No, I'm saying you're not, you're not storing it on, you know, like a small, you have a small area. You're not ta- taking the dustpan and attaching to it so it's, you know, less, uses less space. No, what I'm saying is you can still, like... How we used to store them when we had them. You would put your broom in the thing, you flip the handle up, and you hang the dustpan, and you have the broom inside the dustpan with it. So it takes up, like, no space. But oh, yeah, a little more space <laughs> than a little small one. But Yeah, not much, but still. Makes it so you don't have they're to They're handy as over. fuck. Let's yeah. Put it that way. So those are some inventions that I kind of was looking at. I was looking at it while... I actually did this, uh, was looking at all of these, I have to be perfectly honest, while I was uh, getting my oil changed and getting an inspection of my vehicle, because I was like, I started looking at it, I'm like, holy shit. We didn't even I, talk about Lonnie Johnson, the the DARPA guy that accidentally created the Super Soaker, because his daughter was apparently a, a fucking murderer with uh, squirt guns, well, and he had to come up with something to compete with her, and then she took it and just hosed yeah. your friends down with it well i just yeah. was like you know but i mean yeah he he, he created that and he created something else too i can't remember what the, what it was but uh but these you know these ones i was like holy shit because i mean i never knew who you know who came up with half of this stuff mm-hmm. i didn't really care you know yeah but it's kind of interesting to to know and put a name with a face with a, an invention to go Wow. So, you know, for my vehicle, when I think of, you know, having a automatic shifting, I can think of, you know. Well, you don't really have automatic shifting anymore. You have a CVT, which is basically a fucking snowmobile transmission. They don't shift. They shift. No, they don't. There's a computer automated 
break that is thrown in there to make it feel like it's shifting, it doesn't actually shift. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Smart ass. Well, I, I'm, I'm fucking around them like every day. That's how the only reason I know. They still shift. They still have to go through a gear. They don't. <laughs> they don't. They don't shift. It's just, it, yeah. I mean, so if like if you have like a like a, a a mid-sized truck like what I have that has a real transmission in it, my wife's SUV has a real transmission in it because it's a bigger vehicle. Most smaller vehicles now have a CVT in them, which they are what they are. They're super cheap to replace compared to a regular one. Uh, I don't know if mine has a CVT in it. It does. It's a Honda. It's a smaller Honda SUV, so yeah, they do. I don't. See, this is how I feel when you start talking about goddamn fire panels, and I, I just kind of check out. <laughs> I just no, I'm just saying I don't know because I, I I can't yeah. make an educated assumption about something I don't know nothing about yep. because I kind of really just don't care because I know that you know when it gets up to a certain RPM, the fucking thing shifts. You know, the engine goes, yeah, and then but and then you know, and then it goes to another gear, it shifts, it goes. I mean, they're all automated, you know, using a computer chip now. So we don't have a fucking, you know, an actual carburetor or anything like that in any of our right. vehicles. But what I'm saying is, like, when you, you split the transmission open, on a regular one, there's actual gears and shit in there. A CVT is a belt or chain drive. There's no gears. It's just constantly going. So I have no clue. I do. That's why I was sharing knowledge. Okay. And cool. Getting treated like an asshole for it. Cool cool by me so anyway uh patreon.com forward slash dark windows podcast five dollars a month gets you an extra episode once a week they're not free you have to pay for it but you, you did get one for free but that was due to technical error um anyway uh also you heard it, you heard it from him technical error yeah yeah uh, hopefully you don't have a fucking we fucking better error. not i pre-saved this one so we shouldn't have to all you should have to do is hit save and it should actually save this time um, head on over to studio.com forward slash dark windows podcast. I'm sorry. No, Jesus studio.com. Grab some earbuds or earbuds or a speaker. Cause they don't make the headphones anymore, which sucks because they're fantastic. Um, but all of their products are good and they have more headphones, not in Jesus Christ. They have no headphones, Kevin. They have more earbuds than you could shake a stick at. I don't know. I saw they had regions. They sent me a something. Oh, for maybe they still maybe they something. still make them. Um, I don't know, but uh, they they have many flavors of earbuds. Um, they also have a really kick-ass speaker, which I use on the regular to edit this show. Um, if you put in Dark Windows fifteen at checkout, it gets you fifteen percent off your entire order. Um, can't recommend them enough. I just you know, go grab some, find ones that you think look cool, and then look at the specs and go, holy shit. Eight hours on a single charge, and then the case holds four charges with that also. Pretty impressive for earbuds. Um, mm, I know the true. the Klar, which are the older, bigger, over-the-head phones, um, they're like a 37-hour charge on them. It's fucking stupid. I've charged them like four times since I've had them. Um, but, yeah. And, jeez. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, we're talking baseball next week, though, so that's going to be fun because our impending doom and opening day is upon us. So, dun, dun, you know, dun. let the Russians start World War Three. I don't give a fuck as long as it doesn't interfere with baseball season. 
I'm okay with it. Okay. And the good news is, even if they do start World War III, a majority of the good players can't be drafted because they're not American citizens usually. So that's fine. You know? Yeah, you might get Mike Trout. And you know what's going to happen there? He's going to become fucking Captain America because he's superhuman and he's good at everything he does. You know? So maybe don't take Mike Trout. Okay. Or do. Who knows? Maybe maybe he's already a fucking Navy SEAL. We don't even know about it. I, I, I wouldn't know. You know? But, I mean, uh... I mean, he's, a, he's, he's fucking... He's doing a phenomenal job at, you know, being undercover. And, man, he just... <sighs> Place for such a bad team. He deserves better. <laughs> but he refuses to quit. Him and Otani both deserve better. Byron Buxton, who plays for the Twins, deserves better. They should just really let me go in and fantasy draft these teams and be like, listen, we're going to get... Some of you guys are getting up there in years. We're going to get you a ring before it's all over. Because you, you've earned it. And we're going to bring Joe Maurer out of retirement to catch, like, five games so he can get a fucking World Series ring, too. Because if anybody that's ever played for the Twins deserved it, it's him. Mm. Fuck Chuck Knobloch. He deserved it. <sighs> really did. We'll have to bring, uh, you know, Tony Gwynn back from the grave to get him one, too. Fucking right. You know, Kirby Puckett should get another one. He definitely should. Yep. Mate, you know what? Just to spice it up, we'll fucking throw Lenny Dykstra and Daryl Strawberry on the team. So we know where all the cocaine's coming from. But. Yeah. Fuck it. Why not? Keith Hernandez can be the first base coach. Just watch him brush it out of his mustache every couple seconds. Okay. Ooh. Ooh, that's what we'll do. Oh, that'll be a Patreon at, at some point. The, uh, all the, um, like the, the big fucking cocaine bust back in like 84, 85, whatever it was. Uh-huh. Where they arrested basically the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team and half of the Mets for just doing fucking cocaine constantly. Uh. Yeah. But. There's nothing better than looking back at old baseball pictures where it's like a bunch of dudes just like smoking cigarettes in the dugout too. Fucking incredible. Because you know, this one dude is like, you know, he might not get up to bat this inning, but he's definitely, you know, first couple next inning. He's just in there smoking butts and just whatever. He doesn't give a shit. Look at Jim Leland. I'm pretty sure if he was allowed to still smoke, he'd be out there blowing smoke in umpires' faces and (laughs) just giving him shit. So, true. You know, anyway, they're ruining baseball and I hate it. But just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. <laughs> Fuck the fucking pitch clock. Fuck the pitch clock. <laughs> and that, that might be my new sign off for my. <laughs>